Hi, this is Bill Cumby. I'm a teacher at First Church Ministries in Newport News, Virginia. And we're talking about Genesis, doing a Bible study on Genesis. And we're in Genesis chapter four today. I'm going to do a quick review. Um, I actually have been teaching on this for several months now. And I had a several week break uh, trying to get things straight at work and other situations. And uh, I'd like to catch up now in Genesis four. Let's open in prayer. Lord, we thank you for the time we have together. Thank you for your uh, watching over us. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you that you care so much for us, that uh, you created us as independent beings. You created us to make choices and decisions, and you also created us as a community to help one another, encourage one another, and to draw closer to you and to love you more. And I pray that we might do that through this study. We ask in your name, Jesus. Amen. So uh, again, the, the opening screen has now been changed to 2020 instead of uh, spring of 2020 because we have moved through the almost end of the summer. And um, the key verse in, in Genesis really is verse 27, 127. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. He created them. And we've been talking about that. It really is an overarching theme of Genesis, not just of the first few chapters of creation. So we'll be talking about that and coming back to that. We've actually spent a fair amount of time moving fairly slowly through chapters one, two, and three. I'm gonna pick up a little bit of speed, hopefully, on uh, four, five, six, seven, going through. And then when we get into Abraham, we might get into some more speed, not because we're in a hurry to get through, but because a lot of this stuff is best read through as a sweep and for you to understand and for it to be connected together. So we don't want to go too slow, um, but we want to go slow enough that we can at least hit the major points. And the idea here is that you're reading through and meditating on this yourself. So um, I, I know I've read through Genesis dozens and dozens of times um, and translated it when I was in seminary. Um, that Chapters one through three was one of my Hebrew classes that we had to translate word for word and discuss. Uh, but... Um, I find new things every time I go through. And th even this morning as I was preparing the final slides, because I always have to do some fiddling just before I come in, um, I saw new stuff. So, so what I'm trying to uh, take some time here to say is you need to meditate on this. You need to think about this and try to apply it into your own life and not just take it as teaching. Um, so, um, you know, yeah, the intro to Genesis, how is this different from other creation stories? So just before I came in, I added the first bullet point, you know. It's given in context, okay, uh, with the Israelites being freed from slavery and also receiving more civil, moral, and religious laws in the community. It is not given in a vacuum, okay. The Israelites had been slaves for 380 years, and now they're moving out of, of uh, Egypt, and, and they're out Mount Sinai for a year, and they received the Ten Commandments, and they received the first five books of the old, what we consider the first five books of the Old Testament, the Pentateuch, uh, the Torah, uh, for the Hebrews, uh, and it uh, talks about creation, okay? and, and, and it talks about it in relation to who they are as a people. So, so this is background information that then applies to who they are as a people, as a Jewish nation, then leaving Israel. So you gotta, you gotta understand what's going on here, partially from that background. Not that it doesn't apply to us, but to who it was given. Uh, we also see that there's two points of creation uh, to more fully explain what happened. So there's, there's the background information that really talks about all the things being created and it all being created by God. And then there's a second chapter in chapter two, 
we see what does that mean to mankind, okay? And, and man being created, put in the garden, and um, the subsequent fall and, and what goes on in Genesis. Uh, we, uh, Gen this story would be incomplete if it's just Genesis 1 into Genesis 3 or 4. And it would be incomplete if it just had Genesis 2 and didn't have Genesis 1, because you sort of wonder, well, how did you get there? What was the start of it all? And uh, that goes to the third point that I would have to say, and I added this at the very end uh, the, after the dash, is a straightforward account. It's logical, it's meaningful, and it's coherent. And it's not written as a scientific account. There are scientists here that were writing this down. But it is without question the most accurate account of creation from the viewpoint of science. There's no creation account that is that has scientific roots like the, the Genesis does. Now, people complain and say, well, you talk about evolution, you talk about the old the Earth being really old, dating-wise and everything like that. And I'm not, I don't want to descend into that debate right now. But the truth is, is this is a very coherent account of, of one God creating all things in an orderly creation fashion. It's not a story about a bunch of gods or a god or animal that laid an egg that became the earth. Or, or you know, the, the other creation accounts are, are, are fables. They're fanciful accounts. This is not given as a fable. It's not given as a story. It's not given as why the Hebrews and Jews are, you know, the Jews are better than others. It's just given that God created all of mankind, all together, created everything, and there is only one God. Okay? And so we have to understand, we, we take that for granted. In Western society, we, people, almost everyone knows Genesis 1, knows about it, knows it, and it's been poked fun of, okay? But it's not. It's, not, it's, a, it's, a, it's a truthful, accurate account. I, you know, I, again, you might argue, quibble over some of the, some of the items there, the age and, and stuff like that, and whether they literal days or not. But there's nothing like this here. Now, um, I am of the viewpoint that it's an accurate historical account and that those days could quite possibly be 24-hour days. I don't know. I don't think the text demands that, but it could be. And, uh, but in any case, I do believe that uh, even, even evolution, even if you believe in evolution as a random process that God got started, um, you have to say that the order of things being put together is the order that the evolutionists are talking about. And you have to say, um, you know, that, that the, the different kinds of the animals and, and how things are created and the days and stuff uh, are set apart, and, and we go into this next slide, are set apart in a very orderly fashion. It's almost like someone had a shopping list and they had a bunch of stuff they wanted and they organized it by the aisles they were going down to. So, there, so that does not mean it didn't occur this way, but it does seem to have an order structure too that it resembles someone trying to do something in a very orderly fashion, which would be God creating the world. And so we get the light and the dark in day one, we get the sky and the sea, and then we get the land. So we go from the universe down to the sky and the sea and then the land, and then we get sun, stars, and moons uh, being placed in the light and the dark, uh, the sea and air animals being placed in the sky and sea, and then the land animals and man being placed in the land. And so there's this real... Uh, there's an account of, of God, almost a personification of God as a workman. My, my, one of my seminary professors, who I greatly admire, um, uh, was saying this is almost a personification of um, God as a man going through a work week. 
and then the Sabbath is there. And so what, what he's giving is a template because we're created in the image of God. We're created for community, but we're also created to be creative and to enjoy our creation and reflect upon it. And so there's the Sabbath here. So God rested not because he was tired, and we don't do the Sabbath because we're tired. We do it to reflect on the fact that there's more to life than just creation, okay? That there is God and there's a relationship with God and, and this is all part of a larger plan, not, not just a random set of events that happen. And we ignore the Sabbath to our own, our own peril. Um, and I have to say, I've ignored the, peril, the Sabbath to my own peril and I'm trying to recover some of that, but uh, sometimes God lets us sort of go through depths so that we understand just what we, just what how bad things could be, and don't. I don't feel I've got the worst of it, but uh, I think He gave me enough of a taste to really understand that if you work, if all you do is work, all you do is a, you you you're it's just an animal, okay? There's more to it than that. There's community, there's relationships, and above all, there's a relationship with God. And so He's trying. That Sabbath is a very important. It's a barrier too, by the way. It is set in place as a barrier, sort of almost like uh, a circuit breaker in our lives that every week there, the circuit breaker goes off and we have to recalibrate and, and figure out what's going on. And there were a number of circuit breakers that were given at Mount Sinai. There was every seventh year was a Sabbath year. Seven, seven years were the year of Jubilee and all land reverted back to, uh, to uh, their original ownership. And there was a lot of stuff there that God gave to help us, okay, um, that we, again, ignored our own peril. So the focus on Genesis 2 is a second account of creation. First, Genesis 1, the, actually, even in Genesis 1, the focus of Genesis 1 is creation of mankind, okay? And, and you look at past lessons about talking about that. The focus of Genesis 2 is God's interaction with mankind, and he reverse, reveals, reveals his personal name, Yahweh, uh, Jehovah, as it was transliterated with Yahweh and Adonai. And um, he talks about the creation of the Garden of Eden and land animals and that he breathed the life, uh, uh, breath of life into mankind. Uh, and the man is Lord of all creations. He names animals. Again, we name things that are ours, a possession type thing, and so man names the animals. Uh, and that uh, man being alone is not good. And he, God creates Adam, uh, Eve from Adam. Now, he could have, again, in Genesis 1, the actual implication is they were created at the same time because God wants to show that there, there's uh, full equality and that there's, although there's, uh, there's a oneness and there's a, but there's a separateness too. Uh, so Genesis 2 sort of helps us understand the Genesis 1 helps us understand the unity of mankind and then the oneness and the equality of, of male and female. And Genesis 2 helps us understand that there's a separateness too. They're not totally the same. There's the equality there and such, and there's the community that's necessary, and yet he waits and brings that out of man. Man feels lonely after he names the animals and, and or missing something. And then, so, so you get this, this necessity for a chapter one and a chapter two, even from the, the sense of mankind. Uh, then you, we talk about uh, temptation, disobedience, and punishment. Uh, serpent tempts Eve and plants a desire to eat from the fruit, tree of knowledge of good and evil. Eve succumbs to her desire, eats the fruits, gives it to Adam who was with her. 
uh, and their eyes are opened and they realize they're naked. They've been sold a bill of goods. They realize, yes, they know the difference between good and evil, but they know it from the underside. They know it from the evil side and uh, what it is. And it's not what they expected. But, but then you have to ask yourself, and again, we don't want to dwell too much in this, but in prior lessons is, but what did they expect? What did Eve expect? I mean, she's listening to a serpent who says, you're not going to die. She doesn't even know what death is, probably. There could have been death, animal death in the Garden of Eden. Some people say no, but I, I, I'm not that advocate. I think that she could have seen animals die, or, you know, or plants die or whatever. But still, what did she expect? She, she didn't have any feedback from someone who died before. So <clears throat> you need to realize um, they, she did what she wanted to do. It wasn't that she... She was afraid of death. You know, the, she wasn't afraid. She didn't know what it was. And she didn't know what knowledge, the knowledge of good and evil was. And yet there was something she wanted. And that outweighed her trust in, in, in God. And, and that's the essence of sin, is really um, wanting something and saying, I want it. I don't care what you want, God. It's a rebellion against God, God's good will. And um, so um, Adam blames his disobedience on Eve um, and then on God. Yeah, and uh, Eve he says, yeah, I, I was deceived, I sinned. She, she, Eve actually comes out very good on the sense of she comes clean very quickly and doesn't make the excuses. Um, and everything suffers from this. The serpent, the highest of the created uh, animals, um, Eve and, uh, and Adam. Um, Eve suffers in uh, being a helpmate. There's no longer this partnership. There's a vying for supremacy in there, and there's, uh, there's pain in childbirth. And, uh, and Adam is punished by, he, he would do the hard work in the ground and stuff like that. And, and again, we could spend a lot of time thinking about that. If, if there wasn't a fall, would there ever have been any question of a total equality with Adam and Eve? Because the punishment is put on Eve that Eve is now having to strive with Adam for this, where it should have just been equality from the beginning. Um, and don't, don't get me wrong, all creation suffers, okay, you know, and man and uh, male and female both suffer. Um, but there are specifics in here, okay, and the, the pain in childbirth and then the, uh, the pain of working the ground and coming, things just going wrong. Um, but those are things that are shared, not the pain of childbirth, the, 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 the pain of creation gone wrong with, through all mankind. Okay, so now we're in Genesis uh, 4, and we talk about uh, the sacrifices of Cain and Abel. So uh, Cain, um, and now Adam knew, his, uh, knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I've gotten a man with the help from the Lord. And again she bore Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of the sheep, and Cain was a worker of the ground. And in the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought the firstborn of his flock and their flat portions. And the Lord had regard for his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So I, I want to I take a step back. I mean, it's easy to jump right into Cain and Abel. I want to take a step back about what happened uh, after the fall. So they, they go out and a family starts, and Cain is the firstborn. Okay? I, I want us to be thinking about that because, again, there's no other people around. There's three people. And Abel is, my guess, is probably not the fourth. Okay, he's not the next born one. And the reason I say that is because when, when uh, 
when he's forced out, uh, Cain is forced out, he talks about people wanting to kill him. So there's other people out there already. Now, they could be younger children, uh, younger than Abel, but the text doesn't demand that it was Abel. But there's a family there, okay? And what would, I mean, what, what would a family with no other connections be like? And how was their interaction? And how important is that community in there? Um, and uh, I actually put after, I was going to put after they were um, uh, forced from Eden, and then I said, I don't want to do that. So I, I put, and then I came in exile from Eden. So there's an exile here. There's a coming out of, uh, which made me think of the exile that the Israelites had in, in, uh, when they went to Babylon. And, and they were told, and Jeremiah told them to settle down and to build and to, you know, pro, you know as the nation prospers, you'll prosper. That there's an exile out of here, but there is a new start. There's a chance to begin things again. And so you get that. You get this uh, Cain being a farmer and Abel being a herdsman. Um, <clears throat> and uh, 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 people um, that would say that this is just a fanciful account say this is basically the story of, of uh, uh, farmers and, and uh, the herdsmen of that time. This is a story to talk about the, how the enmity came about and stuff like that. I really don't think that at all. But, that, but, but there, is, there is all the tensions between farmers and herdsmen, and we see that in Genesis too when we get uh, later with Abraham. So, but, but that's not what's happening here. What's happening here, if you really look at it, is the difference in the offerings. Not, not, the, not, not that one was grain and vegetables, but, but how it was brought and what the intent was. Because you see... It came, it says, in the course of time. We got around to it, okay? An offering, he brought an offering from the fruit of the ground. Okay, not the best, not the finest. But you see, Abel brought the firstborn of his flock in their fat portion. So, so sometimes I've, I've used this portion uh, as a teaching for giving, okay? Because um, there's, there's three things here that God really wants from us um, to make a, an offering, a sacrifice acceptable. It should be the first it should be the best, and it should be a real sacrifice, okay? So he brought the firstborn of his flock, okay? He didn't wait. He brought, when he, he brought the firstborn. He brought the fat portions, the, the best of, those, uh, of, of that offering thing, and it was a sacrifice. Now, we don't realize this but, but, because we don't live in this society, but when you offer your firstborn, there may not be a secondborn. You know, it, it, for a herdsman, offering the firstborn is a real sacrifice. It's sort of like uh, um, uh, George uh, Orwell, an animal farmer, he's talking about the chickens and the pigs or whatever like that. And, you know, the chickens do a donation, but the pigs have to do a real sacrifice to make uh, you know, breakfast happen. So um, I think that's an, an animal farm. might just be a joke I, I saw when I was reading Animal Farm. But... Um, there's a difference between an offering and a sacrifice. And so when we give, we should really... And, and so, so we, we, we're not teaching on giving right now. So <laughs> um, we're teaching on this section. And so, so Cain was very angry and his face fell. And the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why is your face falling? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you don't do well, sin is crouching at the door and its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Now, I've been using the ESV. I actually put that in here because I want to talk a little about this translation really quickly. So um, 
that last, so you get different levels of accuracy in translation, uh, um, literalness, excuse me, not accuracy, because there, there are translations like uh, ESV, King James, New American Standard, uh, that are very accurate uh, literally, okay? Um, then there are other messages, there's something like the, uh, like the, um, the Living Bible, where the guy didn't even know Greek and Hebrew. He read his English Bible and rewrote it to, in everyday terms. And so you get thoughts. And that, so, the, so it could be very faithful to overall thoughts, but not very accurate in the details. And the, these other translations are very accurate in the details, but sometimes don't convey the thoughts well. I have to say the ESV really falls down on this one because the last one, it says, his desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over. Now, I don't know what they intended for that to mean. Every other translation, including New American Standard and um, NIV, which is a little bit less literal, but still fairly literal, uh, talk about, in fact, that's what I have down here. It says, um, but if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door, his desire to have you, to dominate, to be to overcome you. It's not desire, con and so his desire is contrary to you is, is right. It's against you. It's, 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 it's at war with you is what it, but just the phraseology is a little awkward. So I thought I'd bring that out here because once you understand, you should be reading some different translations. And generally, I, I side and I go with the ESV because in uh, New American Standard because they're, they're more accurate, literally, but sometimes that accuracy is very, awkward in this phraseology. But let's look at what's going on here. So Cain's angry. So it's very interesting. Cain, um, he doesn't repent or anything. He's just angry. And God confronts him. He says, what are you angry about? He says, now, obviously, he's done something wrong because he said, God says, if you do well, won't you be accepted? So, so God's, God, God is telling Cain you know you didn't do right, okay? God doesn't always tell us. There's, there's no appeal to God. You can't say to God, I didn't know. Uh, you know, God knows if you know or no, okay? So, so God's here, so he's like, um, you know, what, why are you so angry? I mean, if you do well, you'll be accepted. That, you know, yeah, obviously inflames Cain, okay? But the truth is, is he's just saying, don't, he's just saying what he knows Cain knows. And Cain is, I'm willing to deal with it. And I, I'd say this, we are often unwilling to deal with our sin. We know we're, we're like the little kid that goes, you know, oh, no one can see me now, okay? Or, you know, or the ostrich that puts his head in the, in the ground. Um, they can't see me if I can't see them. We think about that same with our sin. And uh, God calls us for us. So we, Cain is not the only one God talks to, Okay. You might not hear the voice, and, and, and I know that if you hear the voice, literally, sometimes it's not a good thing because things are not quite right. But, but God does speak audibly to people at times and, and, uh, and talk to them, and he often speaks uh, quietly to us. He often speaks into our hearts and minds, and we know. And let me tell you, you can know if God's asking you some questions. Now, there's a difference between, um, you know, um, uh, Satan will try to blame you and make you feel guilty and stuff like that, where God will try to convict you on sin. He'll, he'll say, hey, you better. Where Satan will say, you're not worthy. You're just, you know, and try to, and amorphous thoughts. And God will say, you know, 
you, sh you should have done better. You could have done better. I think Kane knew that he didn't bring, he brought an offer in the course of time. It was great. I had, this has nothing to do, in my opinion, nothing at all to do with the fact that it was a grain offering instead of a, a animal sacrifice, nothing at all. Uh, but, 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 but the phrase, because the phraseology just says, so when he got around to it, kind of, and he brought some of the things, that's a very specific type of wording. And so I think God's trying to help us understand that, that uh, number one, we are our own keeper. We're going to talk about our brother's keeper in a second, but we're our own keeper, and we know what we did wrong. He didn't have to point that out. He didn't have to say, well, you should have offered a meat sacrifice. I know you probably didn't know that, but this is a, no. He, Cain knew he wasn't doing well. Um, and this word desire, this is the same word that's used in Genesis uh, 3.16 where it says, your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. This time it's the, the sin's desire to rule over you. And, and it refers to an urge to dominate. There's a struggle in there. And, um, and um, there's, a, there's a proverb that says, um, it's in the time of war, no one is let go. So, so sin lets no one goes when the time comes too. And, and the, the point is, is this, is that sin, sin is always presented as us being in control, but in reality, it's in control, okay? It's always, I'm doing this because, that's what with Eve, I, I'm in control, I can eat the fruit, but who's in control? Sin's in control. And so this is what's going on here, you know, what, um, you know, I have to say, I, I struggle with this. I mean, there, this is a, a, you know, I see sin in my life, and I see, I see this struggle here. I see, it, it, Paul expressed it too, and I, I, I know what I want to do, but I don't do it. And the stuff I don't want to do is what I do. And that's, that's, not, that's not Paul in some, you know, theoretical thing. This is Paul, in my opinion, really struggling with sin's desires to have me but you must rule over it. So God's saying, no, don't let this happen. So, but what happens is, is uh, Cain to his brother Abel, and some translations have, and, and some Masoretic text doesn't have this, but some other texts do, that let's go out to the field. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. And then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother, where is Abel your brother? And he said, I don't know, am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? Your voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground, and now you are cursed from the ground, and it has opened his mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. And when you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to its strength, and you shall be a fugitive and a wanderer of the earth. Now, there's so much here. Um, uh, it's, it's, it's hard to go into it all. So they go out there, they're in the field, it kills them. Um, no one's been killed before. There's been no human life taken. This is the first time that blood has been spilled, um, which begs a whole bunch of questions that Genesis doesn't answer. How did he do it? Was there a struggle? Was it a sudden thing? Was it a long protracted? Uh, you know, how did he even know what to do to kill the person? That, that thing. So, um, yeah, but okay, they were brothers and, and it was after the fall, so they probably fought with each other, <laughs> probably some fist fights at times and other things, and they seen animals killed and stuff, so there was such a thing there. But still, it's, it's like, what's going on here when you really start thinking about it? And um, then God, the Lord says to Cain, again, speaks to him, where is Abel your brother? Now, Cain knows that God knows. <laughs> I mean, come on. Yeah, so... I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? Talk about playing dumb. I mean, you know, sheesh. It's like, 
I don't know. Brother's Keeper. Um, uh, you, you almost wonder if it's almost in there because it, there's such a poignant uh, phrase. It gets carried over, uh, over and over. Am I my brother's keeper? And the, it's never answered, actually. But I think the answer is a rhetorical question uh, that Cain asked God. But the answer is, yes, you are. It, his, his rhetoric is, no, I'm, 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 I'm not... I'm not hurting my my brother. He's his own man, you know. But 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 God says, no, you are your brother's keeper. I mean, there, I think embedded in here is yes, you are your brother's keeper. Um, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying out to you. Now, this is an escalation. So before they ate the tree of knowledge of good and evil, they were exiled, and the ground was cursed before them. But now there's a special curse on Cain, the farmer, that the ground won't even bring forth. Saying so. The reason I, I use the term exiled from Eden earlier is he is now being exiled. So, so and again, the Israelites have been, ex, they were in exile in Egypt, and now they're coming out into a different kind, which comes out to be an exile, a 40-year wandering. But it could, was supposed to be into a promised land that did not happen because of their disobedience. It's almost, the Israelites are almost a reverse of what's happened. Their disobedience uh, caused them the sin and pain and shame, and then later they came into the promised land. The promised land and now now this exile. And so we see Cain coming out, having to be, be exiled, and, and um, he'll be, you'll be a fugitive. You're no longer walk the earth. So I have to say, I understand why what happens next happens. I mean, our, our sinful nature, I'd probably do the same thing. Cain says to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. There's no repentance here. Look at this. No repentance here, okay? But there is a complaint about the punishment. And I have to say, it's a, that's a really harsh. You got to think, wait, I've got a family. There's no one else in this earth, and I'm being forced away from them. You know, so my punishment is greater than I can bear. I, I will give this to Cain. I, I don't know if it's just... He doesn't say my punishment is is greater than merited, okay? You know, he killed somebody. He, he's, the punishment... It's the crime, per se, um, but it's too harsh, he says. Behold, you've driven me today from the ground, and from your face I will be hidden, and I will be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me kills me, will kill me. And the Lord said, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest it and be found that should attack him. And Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Okay, so again, God, he doesn't repent. God does not um, condemn. When he comes back and with the punishment thing, he doesn't argue with them. He actually says, no, no, I, he ameliorates it. He says, I'll put a mark and no one will kill you. Um, seven times is very important. It's going to come in at the end of this chapter. So there's a structure here. And uh, a, again, just because there's a structure doesn't mean it's a story that's fabricated today, but there's a structure that we get an echo with this at the end of Genesis 4 with Lamech. Uh, so so we, we, he goes out and seven times. I want you to see several things. God judges directly, okay? And you will see that. Um, you'll see that up through the flood. And after the flood, he institutes government. I and mean, we're going to talk about that. But up to the flood time, um, God deals directly with people in, in their punishments. And he is that he's then... Um, uh, exiled. Now, 
people say, well, we, we were people. In fact, it talks about in Bill and City, yeah. So Adam and Eve lived 900 years, and, and like I said, Cain might have been the first, but Abel probably wasn't the second, and there were and, and there there was probably several dozen people at least, or maybe a hundred, couple hundred, at that time that it spread out. And so there was time for you know he could take a wife from, and again we talk about well that's not it's not actually allowed in the Mosaic Code, but again um, that's because of genetic defects passing on, and probably after the fall, those weren't as bad, and there was no choice anyway. And we'll see some horrible instances in Genesis where they felt there was no choice on that thing, too. So um, um, that's for later. Um, the family of Cain. So Cain knew his wife, um, and she conceived and bore Enoch. And when he was built a city, uh, he called the name of the city after his son, Enoch. Um, and to Enoch was born Irad, and to Irad the father fathered Mahujael, and Mahujael fathered Methushael, and Methushael fathered Lamech. And Lamech took two wives, and the name of one was Ada, and the other was Zillah. And Ada built Borjabal, and he was the father of those who dwell in the tents and had livestock. And his brother's name was Jubal, and he was the father of all those who played the lyre and pipe. And Zillah said to, uh, also bore Tubal Cain, and he was a forger of all instruments of bronze and iron. And the sister of Tubal Cain was Nama. So um, we get this this um, uh, this genealogy from Cain. Now it's, it's very interesting. Uh, there's seven there's seven generations here, and again there, there there's a structure here that sometimes bespeaks that maybe it's a structure for memorization or or for uh, pedagogy teaching of stuff, and so there may have been more than seven generations. These are the seven generations mentioned. I don't know. I mean, it's scholars are not agreed on that. Okay, um, but but the seven are very important, and uh, and you, what you'll see is we're going to get into the line of Seth. The seventh in the line of Seth was Enoch, who walked with the Lord. And there's ten generations in the line of Seth, and then after the flood, there's 10 generations. So there seems to be some structure there with these genealogies, um, which again, does not mean they're not totally accurate. It just means that there's a structure there. So whether it's a structure for teaching and memorization and, and storyline, uh, whether it, and whether there's some gaps in here, these people are real people. They have made, they, and they did this. And what you see here um, is um, several things. One, you see bigamy already starting. Lamech starts bigamy, had two wives. Um, and uh, we also see that uh, there's incredible inventiveness and productivity from this line. So uh, one of the things that we're, gonna, uh, we're not going to go into ch chapter five uh, this week, but there'll be a comparison of the two. And what you see here from the line of Cain is incredible um, technology development and Civilization development and such, and and you don't you do not see that in the godly line. And again, we want to circle back to that. that I think there's reasons, definite reasons for that, uh, on there. And it's not because the godly line is anti-technology or anything. It's just there's different there's differences being pointed out here, though. So I want you to pay attention on this this stuff here. And we see very early that civilization is there. So. We say, well, what about uh, you know the cavemen and the Cro-Magnon man and everything else? And I don't want to go all the way there, but I will say this: they could have devolved from a civilized, uh, from a more civilized, instead of evolution saying a clear step up. And and uh, it was 
that would be weird. Well, you know, during the Middle Ages, we forgot how to make concrete. The Romans knew how to make concrete, and we lost the formula for concrete, and we didn't discover it for several centuries. So, so yes, people do sometimes miss the boat and, and have problems. So, so, but that's another discussion. Um, I, I would like to finish up Genesis 4, though. And Lamech said to his two wives, Adam and Zillah hear my voice. You wives of Lamech, listen to me, to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is seventy-sevenfold. Um, th- this is this is the um, uh, this is the comeback of the seventh thing. So so there's there's this um, so such a devolution that uh, there is no longer uh, a punishment for fitting the crime. He he, he boasts. That, that I've killed a man for wounding me, okay? Uh, a young man for striking me. So a young man strikes him across the face and he kills him. So there's this, this lawlessness. There's this, so you, you, you get at this end, the, the end of the seventh line where he's boasting, you see the degeneracy of mankind. You see that you think it was bad with Cain. It's worse with me. I'm, I'm, I'm a badder man. I'm a worse man than you, you think he was bad, you know, and so you get this at the end, and this is the end of the line, because this is all you hear of the line of Cain, and period, okay, you don't even hear of it, so then, then comes the line of Seth, and then comes the flood and stuff like that, but the line of Cain ends here as far as our discussion goes, okay, we want to talk about that in, in, a direct, in a direct mention, okay, I actually think the daughters of men are referred to this line, okay, the daughters of men are... Or descent. This is man. This is the line of man. And then you get, and Adam knew his wife again, and she bore him a son and called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. And to Seth also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. And at that time, people began to call on the name of the Lord. So now we get this, this reconnection with God. And you're going to see in chapter 5, it, it goes back and it says, um, uh, when God created Adam in his image, and then Adam had a son in his image and being Seth. And so you see that now the godly line going, and we're going to talk about that next week, and then we're going to talk about the godly and the ungodly line and what happens in the flood and such. So, um, But what I wanted to show here is that things got bad fairly quickly, okay? Sin, there, there's a pleasure in sin for a while, but it ends very badly, and it ends very quickly, too. Um, um, sin is a parasite, okay? When you think about evil, um, the devil can create, no, God is only the creator. He creates only good things. All the devil can do is corrupt things. And all the sin can do is corrupt things. And sin always promises you more than it can deliver. And as you feel that emptiness, you sin more and more and you get less and less pleasure until you loathe what you're doing and get no, because the devil doesn't just want you to be rebellious against God. He wants you to suffer like he's suffering. And so we get this, and we understand this, but we still sin, and we still get entwined into this. Um, and again, uh, I just have to come back that this message is given to the Israelites on Mount Sinai so they can understand just how pernicious sin is and how deeply it's affected them and society. 
the message, the answer of Christ coming and dying for our sins and the Holy Spirit living on us and renovating our lives and changing us is not there because, again, sometimes you've got to fill the need. So I, I, uh, I, I will thank, I, I thank God that um, uh, the past two or three months I've shared that have been really hard on me, uh, some of the hardest times I've had in my life. And uh, it's been because of my sin. It's, I mean, I, it, it has been, there's other forces at work too, but a lot of it is me. I, you know, you gotta look, when a lot of things go wrong, you gotta look at what the common source is, okay? And, and, uh, and the common source in this case is stuff with me too. And so I've gotta say, what is it in me that is causing this? And it's been painful, it's painful. Uh, and, and I will not say the pain has stopped and it's over, but I will say this, that, God sort of opened my eyes and, and has brought me through in the last couple of months to uh, actually uh, several big moves that I've had to make and change um, and that have been very helpful, but, but, uh, and, and that I'm on a firmer ground now. But, but the point is, is I'm not without sin now. I'm, I'm, God has pulled you out of the pit not and set your foot on, on, on common ground, not so you'd be, oh, well, everything's fine now and walk away. It's to draw us closer to him and to be in more fellowship and to love him more. And so, so as we see this and as you are going through sin in your life and you're struggling with this, um, there is a redeemer. There is someone who has an answer for this. Um, the Israelites, it took 2,000 years. God, God's time is not our time. 2,000 years, actually about 800 years from Mount Sinai to the, to the time of Christ. But he, he, so when they're listening, they have 800 years in the future, the answer comes, the Messiah comes. Um, and yet he shows them enough that they know that they're not worthy and that they need to trust in God and that, that, that a sacrifice must be made for their sins that they cannot make themselves. And so an animal is slain instead, but we realize that it was Christ that's being slain, that some says that God himself slain for us to unite us with him and to bring us back to him. So um, that's the end of Genesis chapter 4. We'll get into this, uh, this whole sequence of what I just talked about uh, again uh, next week in chapter 5. Let's close in prayer. Lord, we thank you for your love to us. We thank you that you care for us so much and that um, you took the time to help us understand what happened at the beginning of history in creation. And Lord, I pray that you would just help us to love you more, draw close to you. As we see ourselves in these things, we pray that we might learn from them um, and that we might draw closer to you and love you more. We pray in your name, Jesus.